Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner. I'm not doing the cat trick again for you this week, I promise. Welcome to the Pete the Planner show. Joining me as often is Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice. At, I don't know why I'm introducing you. Hello, Dave. Hey, Pete. You doing all right? I am doing just Excellent. fine. Uh, I am trying to dial in our sound. We made some changes this week. Uh, one of the services we use uh, updated their system, so I'm just making sure I can hear you and that... There is no echo. So uh, welcome to all our listeners. Dane, we got people coming in, uh, making comments. Yeah, there's Danza. Hello, Danza. I want to say hello to Danza, Dane. Hello, Danza. How are you doing today? Because I know Pete's just trying to get me to talk to make sure my sound is okay. That is exactly what I'm doing. All right, Dame. Uh, on the show this week, we just did a minor pre-production meeting. So that is to say, we are going to talk about how people intend to pay for college. You did a poll on Twitter that was pretty interesting this past week. And so we'll talk about our results. Um, Hello, Ashley. Hello, Daniel. Good to be with you. Uh, Dane, we're also going to talk about 2020 do-overs. If you could do over one thing, if you could make one different decision financially in 2020, within reason, what would it be? And so we'll talk about that. And then... uh, other things along the way as well. Good day, Lori. Good day, Amanda Grace. Um, Danza says she's been writing cat money jokes all week for no reason. Yes, you have, because we're not going with the cat bit this week. Although, listener Lee, with the amazing screenshot of his dog mesmerized by the video of our show because I had a cat face on. And, and if you see the picture, you can go to my Instagram, at Pete the Planner, you can see it. The take the big takeaway of A, it's an amazing picture. B, Lee's house is amazing. Yeah, I'm hoping that he can come design a room in my house. I mean, truly, like Dame, unbelievable. I was like, Lee's a baller. What's I mean, Lee got going on? But the just the picture in, in and of itself with the the dog staring at your cat face and then me kind of looking over my shoulder at your cat face. And you just carrying on like you're the absolute cat professional was amazing. Uh, also, he had one of those ambient light TVs that pushes the light out from the backside of the TV, which every time I've ever seen those before, I was like, well, that's dumb. What's the point of that? No, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, now you know. That, I mean, it's amazing. So I, I guess I'm a sucker for technology, but it was cool. All right, Dame. Uh, let's start the show. You want to do that? Yes. Let's start the show. Okay. Uh, I'm getting everything uh, squared away here. Just a second, everybody. I'm not as organized as I wanted it to be. In three, two. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You can email us, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. We'll answer your friend your financial question. And by we, I mean Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at your money line and hey money. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Good to be with you, Dame. This week on Twitter, you put out a poll uh, asking people who have kids. What is their real plan? What's the primary mechanism of which they plan on paying for their college education? And boy, you got some interesting data. So I want to talk through that because I think not only does it inform us about how Americans plan to pay for college, I think it informs us how Americans plan to pay for retirement. Uh, So let's dig into the data. Do you happen to have it there in front of you? I do. uh, What the results said. Indeed. So uh, if you did participate, thank you very much. We had 171 results uh, or 
responses for this. And the question simply was, where are you planning on the biggest source of funds for your child's college education to come from? Four options, Pete, just four. Savings, loans, and that could be either of the student or parent variety, scholarships, or student slash parent cash flow. Okay, so let's work backwards. Let's work backwards and talk through each of these options, how realistic we think they are, uh, how good of a plan we think they are, uh, and so on and so forth. So cash flow, game. I think cash flowing, using your parents in, the parents' income in the moment just to make payments is a very reasonable strategy if it comes along with eliminating other expenses around the same time. Because as most people know, because of lifestyle creep, whatever is going on in your life is going to consume your income. And if you're not able to shut off those other things that consume your income prior to this new obligation coming along, that plan falls straight on its face. Yeah, you've got to make sure that cash flow is available. And if something can happen to free up cash flow that you haven't been consuming, that's a direct one-for-one -one switch or could be a direct one-for-one -one switch and, and really be a huge help to getting that college education funded. And we, for example, say you're a uh, Philip Rivers and your kid finally gets out of daycare and you've got some free cash flow to send them through college. So that just matches up perfectly. Really appreciated that joke. Thanks. Uh, next one on the list, Dame, was scholarships. Scholarships. Planning on scholarships is one that I really struggle with, not because people don't earn scholarships, but but depending on something that has uh, more to do with people selecting your child seems not like a great strategy to me. Yeah, that's a tough one for me to swallow. I mean, obviously, you want your kids to uh, you know do their very best in school so they can uh, you know get a high GPA, good test scores, and maybe get some scholarship money going in. But to bank on that, to count on that being the biggest source of funds for your child's education, which is how the, the question was asked. That's a, that's a big jump for me to say, yeah, that's a reasonable strategy. Now I know more and more schools are awarding merit-based aid, uh, which, which is great. Um, but again, if your kid is 10 years old, as brilliant as your kid is at 10 years old, I think you have very little to do with understanding what sort of high school and then early college student they could be. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a huge jump. And in fact, how many, you say 10 years old, you're assuming people are planning for college when their child is 10 years old. And I think in fact that that decision really doesn't get taken seriously for a lot of people until high school starts. Yeah, that, that's interesting because when I think of college and I think about our family situation, I started thinking about it the second we were, when we were at the hospital, I remember with uh, our second child, Theodore, Teddy, Tito Dunn, that I was doing calculations while Mrs. Planner was in labor. I had like a financial calculator out and I was like, hey, did you know? And she's like, Sh shut up. I mean, she didn't say that, right? But I could, the vibe was there. Uh, and my back hurt that day. I wore these oh, Adidas, like soccer style flats. Yep. And I stood there for hours and my back tightened up. I'll never forget that day. Those floors are hard, man. They will take a toll on your back. Absolutely. Dame, the, the third methodology that people listed in your poll was to plan to take student loans. 
Do you feel like this sounds super judgmental? Do you feel like that comes from a defeatist standpoint where they're like, well, we're just probably going to have to take loans? Or do you think it's more strategic? Like, well, our plan is to take loans. I think it comes from a realistic standpoint for a lot of people that they they aren't going to have the cash flow or maybe they don't feel it's their entire responsibility to pay for their child's education and they want to have their kid get some skin in the game and they don't have a long enough time period to, to work a summer job to, to get some cash for that maybe that freshman year or whatever the case may be. So uh, loans might be I don't want to say a, a reasonable answer to this this question, but I didn't really draw it out enough to to get some context for some of these these results either. And of course, the final solution, the the, the primary methodology would be people saying, "Hey, we're going to save for it. We're going to invest for it. We're going to use time to grow our money to handle that." That is my preferred method. Now, Dame, what did the percentages say? Can you go down and and tell us what the who the big winners were? Would you like me to go from uh, least to most? Yes. All right. Uh, coming in last, scholarships with 11.7%. Early on in the poll, it was 25%. And you and I were having nerd freakout texts back and forth going, oh, this is like a Friday night, by the way. And you and I are like, oh, no, what, what, what's wrong with us? <laughs> it's just the stuff that keeps us entertained, Pete. You know, a list, by the way, a real quick, a, uh, a viewer on the Facebook Live uh, broadcast, which is going on right now, always goes on Friday at noon Eastern, makes an incredible point. Our primary is the dependent benefit of the GI Bill, but the school our daughter chose is not traditional. VA covers half, so the rest is up to us. You know, the GI Bill is like the exception to all of this rule, right? Because it is sort of a scholarship. It is, is an aid uh, in that regard, and it's an excellent point, Lori, so I'm glad you bring that up. Yes. All right, uh, third place, 14%, loans, student or parent. Okay, okay. Yeah, interesting. So 11 first, 14 for the next one. So uh, I'm anxious to see how this splits up the last two. Third place, student or parent cash flow with 18%. Okay. And savings comes in first with 56%, Pete. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that seems, that, that's, yeah. that's, that's what we want to see. And I'll have to say our household plan involves that exact percentages, right? Well, oh, actually reverse the final two, um, but funding outright, like paying for like mm -hmm. uh, saving, you know, mm -hmm. then cash flow the rest. Maybe there'll be some scholarship money. I probably not for some things. Uh, and then uh, loans aren't really going to be an option at our house. What I will tell you is that Sally May has done a, a really nice report on, okay. on how people actually pay for college. And the average uh, incoming freshman and their family anticipate that the family will cover roughly 30% of the expenses through savings. In reality, it's much closer to 10% through savings. So there's a lot of good intentions that are out there. However, people don't come through quite as well as they hope. So Keep that in the back of your mind. You may want this to happen, but unless you focus on it and plan for it and actually do something about it, nothing more than a pile of good wishes, my friend. Ah, uh, yes, it, which actually blends in very nicely to what our next segment is going to be about, is that what we can learn about people's intentions and then realities and how that will inform us of how people are dealing with the retire retirement conundrum in front of all of us. Talked about that a lot this week in some live events we did for our clients at, at Your Money Line. Dame, I'll just tease it before we head into the break here. I find that people 
overcomplicate retirement by simply not knowing how much they need to save for retirement. Sure. Like it is, it is not an easy number to find, but once you find it, that is everything. And that's where people sort of go off the rails. So we'll talk about that coming up next. Uh, if you're listening on the, uh, the radio, uh, always you can join us on Fridays at noon Eastern on Facebook Live and then listen on the weekend as well. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. All right, Dame. Yeah. So uh, everyone, I know you don't like the inside baseball of how the show's recorded. We use a couple different um, types of software. And um, I'll tell you, one of them updated this week. And so Dame and I are trying to use it for the first time. And it is, it is pretty, pretty wild. All right. We, really good comments uh, in the Facebook live here. Uh, Amanda Grace says, my college didn't have a payment plan and had to pay for semesters up front. So I took out a private student loan to cover tuition up front and paid it off while I was in school. So it was paid off by the time I graduated. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah, good really for you. Daniel says, I'm in the same boat. My current number for retirement is I have no idea a lot. There are definitely two commas involved. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, Dame, are you noticing that my track is not uploading? Do you see that? I cannot see that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, Dame, you know what this feels like? It feels like me editing the major podcast track into to tracks today is what this feels like that's what i'm thinking you might end up having to do bud good that's fun that's fun there goes my afternoon all right everybody uh and now now i'm upset so i'm getting hot so i take my jacket off like this is just <laughs> going downhill do you have that like i've got this whenever i feel emotional or emotion at all about anything my body heat goes through the roof do you do you have that same affliction sure yeah i think that's natural is it? I always I just assume so. that blood pressure rises. You start to uh, start pushing a little bit more activity through your body. I think it's totally normal for your your temperature to rise. When you are financially stressed, maybe this is a good radio segment. Actually, when you're financially stressed, how does that physically affect you? I'm curious. When I'm, did you say financially stressed or physically stressed? Uh, how about you're stressed about your finances? Like how does that? How does it metaphysically change you? Um, loss of sleep. Primarily, um, I'm, I'm sure I'm probably, uh, I, I guess this would be a better question for, uh, Mrs. Uh, CPA. Yeah. Uh, how to tell, she can tell you how I am, but I, it was shorter, uh, with temper, uh, loss of sleep, uh, not being able to focus on, on anything other than the perceived problem in front of me, that sort of stuff. Yeah. For me, instant heat. If I feel financial stress, it's instant heat and i feel like i'm 120 degrees so know. if you uh if you're out to a nice dinner and uh you, you get charged for uh three bottles of wine when you only had two i mean is that uh, instant sweats <laughs> um that doesn't no <laughs> no, no. I, you're assuming i drink two bottles of wine when i go out to dinner dame i didn't say you were by yourself man all right, we could have had to re. Um, you know what? Here's what we're doing, Dame. I'm I'm freaking making the call mid show right now. I'm shutting Zencaster and we're doing the whole thing on this on on this. I'm just gonna edit it. 
All right. Okay. No one cares, by the way. People was like, oh, we should have a podcast. It'll be fun. No, it's not. It sucks <laughs> really bad. It's like, I, I'm like, I, I have like a job here, you know? I mean, you could pay somebody $5,000 a month to edit it. I know. Okay. So let me, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to turn off a Zencaster. Uh, I'm leaving it. I don't care. And now I got to change my audio so I can actually hear you for the first time in our lives, Dame. All right. Can I hear you? Sorry, everybody. I mean, actually, I'm not that sorry, but all right. Can you can, uh, talk, Dame? Can you, I can hear you. Can you hear me? You're going to have to change your audio setting so you can hear me. Sorry, everybody. This is how it works. Okay, let's look at uh, Alicia says, prioritizing retirement, maxing out Roth, and full match 401k amount, but put $150 a month per kid in 529. It feels like a drop in the bucket, so why bother? Uh, thought the tax break, though the tax break is nice. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. It does feel like a drop in the bucket. Daniel says, I used a GoPro record to record the kids sledding uh, the other day. 45 minutes of sledding. I'm at three hours of editing it down so far. Editing is horrible. Yeah, it is. Okay, Dame, you can hear me? I can hear you. Let me pull up a, uh, a clock so I can keep track of the time here. I just realized that I will also have to do that. Oh, my Lord. What is wrong? Technology. I, we don't use profanity on this show and, or in our real lives at all. But if I did... <laughs> if I did, I would tell you I would have some right now. Okay. Here we go. In three, two, oh, maybe I should write down we're 18 minutes into the recording of this, and this will make it easier to edit. Absolutely make it easier to oh, edit. Oh, my Lord. You're a genius. Okay. Actually, at the 1820 mark is when we're starting. Sorry, audience. I want your comments about the three. Two. Oh, we just start. I don't have to say three, two, one. Okay. Oh man, I'm so confused. Okay. <laughs> Back on the Pete the Planner show. Oh, Dame. You know the the magic happens during the breaks here at the Pete the Planner show. That's what I'm told. Yeah. Okay. So, Dame. Um, prior to the break, we were talking about how people pay for college, which is uh, interesting, right? There are plans to pay for college, but then when you ask, uh. When you ask someone how they plan to fund retirement, they actually don't really know because they don't know the fundamental problem in front of them. Yes, they know that their income will eventually go away and will have to fund their lifestyle, but they, they don't exactly understand how they're going to do it because it feels like such a, a tall task. Uh, anecdotally, Dame, when you talk to people on the phone, which you do every day about their financial lives, how often, what percentage of time do they know the exact number that they need to save for retirement uh, to retire successfully? Less than 5% of the time. Right? Yeah. And, and what should it be? More than 5% of the time. Yes. Isn't that strange? It, it, to me, it's, it's like this... Uh, man, I really don't want to know how much I, I weigh. So I'm not going to step on a scale and that makes the bad part about weighing too much go away. Is that what it is? There might be some some of that, but you know, to get to the answer, you got to do a couple of things. You got, you got to put some thought into it for sure to, to try and determine, 
man, what's retirement going to look like? This is the fun part, by the way, trying to figure out what your retirement's going to look like. What do you want to do? What do you, where do you want to go? Do you want to buy a, a little rowboat and fish for the rest of your life? Pete, I'm talking directly to you. Uh, or, you know, you got bigger plans. Uh, who knows? But then you got to do some math. And sometimes the math is where it can get tricky. Yeah, because there's so many variables, right? Yeah. There's the tax rate, there's inflation, which is, I think, one of the peskiest parts of trying to figure out your retirement calculation. The easy parts are, frankly, the, the three main variables, which are uh, how much you've already set aside, what rate of return it's growing at and you plan for it to grow at going forward. I like to default to 8%. Uh, and then the third thing, of course, is what your additions, what you're committed to adding every month thereafter. And then that answer should tell you what you'll have. Um, and then you got to figure out the delta between what you will have and what you need. And then that's where you got to get to work. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of math to be done for sure. I, there are additional variables that can have a huge influence on how much you need to have. For example, how long does the money need to last? That's a, that's a huge variable. If you've got uh, not so great uh, health health history in your family, maybe the money doesn't need to plan on lasting as quite as long. But if you're going to live to 150, holy smokes, that, that adds some variables into the equation. All right. So th I'm thank you for bringing this up because I actually don't think about that a lot. And here's why. Because my plan involves never dying. And I don't mean that I will be alive forever. It says my plan doesn't fall apart if I live forever. Because I want the I want to perpetually have income generated no long no matter how long I live. Because I think the risk of putting together a plan that I have to die for it to work well scares me. This is interesting because it's a fine goal. I, I I'm not saying that that it's unrealistic. However, you also don't feel a need to uh, leave a, a huge inheritance for your kids either. So you're, you may be oversaving for, for something. If, if, even if you just say, you know what, uh, I'm going to plan on uh, 100 and, or 110 and go at it that way, you, you might be able to come up with a, a number that means you could divert some money to something else sooner. Yeah, it, and so here's the thing. Once you find out what it's with the total dollar amount that it's going to cost you and how much income it takes for you to, to uh, handle that, right? Then you figure out what you've done. Then there's this delta. There's this, this difference where, Dame, you're forced to say, all right, we actually have to save $378 more per month. Or in, inevitably, here's what actually happens, Dame. You have to save... $1,700 more a month because people typically are not doing this calculation early in their career. They're doing it when they were putting in too little. And so now they're in their forties. And so then what happens? Well, you get to choose uh, between something that you're probably not going to like and, and reality, which means you're going to have to work longer to lower the amount of money that you need to save per month, because there are only a couple factors that you can change or that you have control over in this case, how much money you contribute and how long you're going to work and keep contributing that money. There's your answer, Pete. You're going to have to work longer. But here's where this falls apart, my friend. And uh, I'm, I'm not being Dunny Downer. Only during the breaks when I can't figure out technology, my Dunny Downer. In the segment, though, I'm pushing back on this because, Dame, here's what people do. 
they will say exactly what you said. I guess I'm working longer, but they don't address the funding issue that's part of that either. And when they say, I guess I work longer, they don't go back and figure out how much longer they need to work to make their plan work. They'll just go like, well, I got to work longer, but they don't quantify it, right? And so maybe they have to work 22 years longer to make their current strategy work, but they never find that out. If, if, you, if you go the, well, I guess we'll work longer out, you have to figure out how much longer you have to work based on what you've done or you're going to newly commit to do. And no one ever does that, which is why, to the point of Tim in our Facebook Live, this is why you've got to work with a financial advisor, <laughs> plain and simple, because most people can't take themselves down that path on their own. Yeah, there are a number of reasons to work with a, uh, a financial advisor. This is one of them because they can be objective and lay out all sorts of opportunities and options for you. So maybe it's saving more. Maybe it's working a little bit longer and knowing exactly how long that time period is. Or maybe it's a combination of both or who knows? Maybe it's moving to Central America to live off of, of what you do have saved. I, nobody knows. You know, a lot of times what people end up doing instead of, of what we've just suggested is they'll say, you know, you can't, you can't calculate everything. Life's too crazy. And, and, and I get it. Life is crazy. As if we've just learned in the last 12 months, life is crazy. Uh, but Dame, like ignoring the reality of the math is not helpful. It makes the problem worse because let's say two years from now, you decide, okay, let's take another look. By the way, your situation's now worse because you didn't make the changes that were evident the first time around. Yeah, working with somebody or, or facing this is going to give you a general direction of where to go. Financial plans are beautiful, beautiful things. And they're good for roughly five minutes after they're presented because any number of variables can change in a heartbeat. So the direction that they provide, telling you what you need to do, where roughly where you need to go to, to get to that destination or that, that uh, desired outcome is the true value of financial plans because if you think you only need to contribute $500 a month, when in reality you need to contribute $1,000 a month, you are going to be very, very sad when it comes time to retire. And you look at your assets and you say, I can't do what I wanted to do. And now I've got some really unfortunate choices to make. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I love this conversation, not because I want to make people feel bad that they haven't done this, but because the moment you start setting aside the right amount according to a well-thought-out plan, Dame, there's nothing like that feeling. There's nothing like walking around knowing that you are in the midst of the solution to the hardest financial challenge you will ever have. Because everyone else walks around, I would say not knowing, but they do know it's not going to work. And, and so like, this isn't about wealth. I mean, this isn't about making a lot of money. This is simply looking at what you want to accomplish, looking at the math that you're currently presenting and then figuring out how to uh, make those changes. It's, it is something that is worth consideration and worth taking action on. Don't ignore it. Do something about it. All right, Dame. Coming up after the break, here's what we're going to do. You and I get a mulligan for 2020. You and I will each select one thing we would do differently financially last year, and we're going to encourage you to do the same. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. All right, Dave, um, I'm doing my best to figure out how I'm going to edit this later.
I have a call, a phone call, uh, a phone call. What is, what is, is that? <laughs> the hell? I'm, so, oh. I have a Zoom call after this uh, with a group in Hawaii. I've had three Zoom calls in Hawaii this week. Um, and as is the culture in Hawaii, um, most people in the business world wear Aloha shirts. I mean, that's what, that's what they wear. You know, wear suits and things. Or, I mean, every, you got to wear. So I always had to change into an Aloha shirt anytime I'm on a Zoom call to Hawaii. Is that the technical name? Aloha shirt? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's a thing. And, it, and like at first, it, yeah, it, it feels like sort of interesting or trivial, but it's like super important. Like it's, it's really a show of respect. Um, and by the way, it can't be a Hawaiian shirt, which is what you like a novelty looking bright colored shirt. They're almost always muted, um, super muted. And a lot of times people wear them tucked in, which you or I would never wear an Aloha shirt tucked in. So I sort of sometimes joke if I know the people on the call, I'll, I'll stand up and it'll be tucked into my sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I mean, I'll tell you, knowing how to do business in different places based on the local culture uh, is something I've learned from the Hawaiians more than anybody. That's very interesting. I would not have uh, guessed that things needed to go to that uh, that extent. I'll also say this. You know, uh, on business calls, sometimes there's a certain amount of uh, small talk you can have. Uh, on those calls, it has to be much longer. The small talk, the non-business talk mm -hmm. uh, when, when you're doing business in Hawaii is a much longer time frame than what you and I are naturally comfortable with. And it's rude if you jump in too fast. I won't do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to try to figure out what's next here. All right, Dame, we're going to do the rest of the show. We got two segments to go, man. My afternoon is going to suck bad. Okay, let's start. Because um, I actually have the Hawaiian call in 34 minutes. Okay. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame uh, 2020. I don't know if you heard, not good, not a good time. It was awful. It, it was uh, a little unexpected and uh, some changes had to be made. Some changes had to be made. Now, Dame, if, if uh, you look back on your year, a lot of us made mistakes and that's okay. A lot of us were wildly successful because we survived, which I think is worth celebrating and acknowledging. And... I'm not a big second guesser. I'm not a big regrets guy, but I do think it's interesting if we take a moment to look at the decisions we did make and say, you know what? If I had to do that over, I'm not going to be hard on myself, but I would do this thing differently. And here's how I think it would impact me. Now, the, and, and by the way, if you're following us right now on Facebook Live or YouTube Live, go ahead and put in the comments what, what you think yours would be. The temptation is to say something like, I would have invested in Zoom. Would have gotten in with Thunder Kitty Nuts or whatever his name is at, uh, what's his name? Thunder Kitty? Roaring Kitty? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, I would have gotten with that guy. Uh, would have gone on GameStop, but that's not what we're talking about. We're, this is not like the back to the future thing where you, uh, you know, you change the, the clock tower's history. Like we're talking about like real personal finance decisions here. Dame, does anyone jump out to you or would you like me to go first? Uh, there is one that actually does uh, jump out to me. I would have made my 529 contributions 
each month instead of just doing a lump sum at the end of the year. Because I tell you what, after you see the market go down drastically, uh, you know, traditionally we've always made our 529 contributions with just one check. And if I would have been thinking about it, here's, you know what, here's, uh, here's the market getting beat up. I can take advantage of that and just chunk it in a little bit a month at a time because that's just good financial planning strategy, right? They're a good investment strategy. And I didn't do it. I don't know why I didn't do it, but I didn't take advantage of it. You know what? I have to admit, that's a really good one. Like that is, and that's one of those things that's been debated uh, in our industry for a long time of like, what's better, lump sum or dollar cost average? Mm -hmm. But that's a great one. That's a really good one. Uh, I'll, I will give you uh, one here. I did not, and, and mine's a little weird, of course. We as a family did not jump in to our local businesses soon enough and because we were terrified and we didn't want to touch anything that anyone else had touched. I, I, I don't remember the first time we did get carry out or anything like that, but it was months, months. And I, I feel I'm regretful that I did not help support my local restaurants soon enough. Was that the best carry out you've ever had when you got that first takeout? It's a good question. What we had, I assume it was just a pizza or something. Um, I don't, I'll tell you our cooking skills around here went through the roof in 20 big, big cooking year in our house. I mean, we, we really got a lot better uh, chefing going on, but yeah, I regret that. I regret you mentioned an interesting one uh, about schooling. Uh, share that one. Sure. So Last year, last school year, uh, our kids went to a, a small private school locally. Uh, and if I'd known what was coming or, or known what the results of it were going to be, I probably would have pulled them for the second semester and, uh, and just taken care of it at home and, and saved half of a year of tuition on top of that. Uh, so looking back, you know, could have, should have, would have, but we had no way of knowing. Do you think, uh, do you think parents who sent students, especially first year students to college in the fall of 2020, regret that decision financially and or uh, life in general? Do you, do you think we're there yet where they're able to evaluate whether that was a, a, a bad decision? I think that's probably going to sting some people for a long time, just that they, uh, they made that decision. It was a, a goal that uh, they and their child had had for years and years and you know, finally get to get to take advantage of it. And you know, maybe it doesn't go exactly as, as you were planning and things look a little bit different. And the experience is not everything you had dreamed it would be. Uh, so I, I think it's maybe a little bit too early, but I don't know if those families are ever going to be able to look at it objectively either. And I, it's understandable because it's a, it's a, an emotional time in your life that, that you get to do this and it's always going to be tainted with this. Uh, we just had someone uh we just had someone that comment on facebook live uh sending my son to chicago for school only had one class in person and his golf season was canceled Ex exactly right now what's tough is we're not calling these mistakes right because because you just make the best decision you can in front of you in, in what is the most trying time in a century so i wouldn't call these mistakes but we're saying well what would you do differently dame i think a real common one that's tough for people to realize is most people really tighten their spending in March, April, and May. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, 
I, by the way, if I just keep saying the word really, it means it really. I, I just found that I said that a lot. That's segment. sorry. Um, I think it, it gave them a look at, at what real resourcefulness was. Like it, it just gave them a glance at what could be in terms of discipline and behavior. And then there was the, the buildup, the, the fa pandemic fatigue, the, uh, the desire to get back to their old way of doing things. And, and some people got there too fast where other people held on to that monthly sensibility. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen it in, in a few circumstances and it's kind of like, uh, a, a crash diet almost where, where people go from one extreme to uh, spending absolutely as little as they can and being incredibly resourceful. And just like crash diets, those are really well, nearly impossible to, to maintain. And as you start to make adjustments, things start sliding one way or the other. And before you know it, you're right back where you were, if not maybe a little worse. So uh, it could potentially be a, a very eye-opening time period uh, for people to really contemplate if you could somehow take away all of the other stress that's involved in this whole situation. But if you knew you could spend 20% less of, of what you normally do in your household expenses, could you maybe spend 10% less and still be you know, perfectly happy with everything else? And those are the, the decisions that people are going to be forced to wrestle with. I guess they won't be forced to, but if, if you choose to, it's a very worthy thing to roll around in your head for a while. Uh, you know, we need to acknowledge something that's occurred over the last several months in this show uh, because I'm about to do it again. We've been making really bold predictions uh, and, and um, we've been right. I'm just saying we've been right a lot about what we think is going to happen with the economy, with pop culture, financial things such as GameStop. And, and Dame, here's the next one. There is so much pent up demand for consumerism uh, on the horizon. And there's also a very real possibility that the average family of four in our country, if they have two children under the age of six, in 2021, will get $12,800 from the government in the form of stimulus and the advance payout for the child tax credit. $12,800 more of income. Here's the bold prediction. I think 2022 will be the worst personal finance year that we've had in a decade for Americans because their pent-up demand, their consumerism will, will naturally outpace um, the resources they will have available in 2022 because they're going to get a huge pay raise. They're going to assimilate to that lifestyle and then it's going to come crashing down in 2022. I am fearful as all get out for personal finances in 2022. I am hoping you are horribly, horribly wrong, but what? I guess we'll have to wait and see. I, who knows what, uh, what the next stimulus check looks like if, if, there is one that, that comes around anyway. I will say I do take uh, I do not take it lightly that I get to talk on the radio and television and newspapers and try to save people from doing that. Uh, and I will be doing that a lot in the next year and a half. Dame, coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week.
and of course the current events all that's next right here on the pizza planner radio show right here on the pizza planner radio network which isn't a thing right no, not a at thing. all right let's check the time 404 oh we guys uh isn't that a terrifying prediction yeah i it's reasonable but i don't like it yeah uh, uh we're, we're again. We're not even getting into should people get twelve thousand eight hundred dollars. That's sort of a weird. Uh, I don't want to say go to dumb conversation because that means I'm saying it's dumb if someone disagrees with me. Uh, not the point of the conversation. If it happens, which it feels really likely, like it feels incredibly likely. And for those that don't know, there's a child tax credit that uh, currently was it like twenty five hundred bucks a year right now. Um. That at the end of the year, when you when you settle up a tax time, you get those tax credits based on the kids you have, and it and it settles you up on on taxes already paid, right? It, 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 that's how a tax credit works. You are credited for taxes paid, and it can result in a refund. But it's not fully refundable. It's not a fully refundable tax credit. It has its limits. There is, um, <laughs> our friend Colton. Colton, I owe you an email, by the way. Uh, I know you emailed me, and I apologize. How are you? Uh, thanks for uh, doing that without shaming people. You're welcome. I owe you an email, Colton. Um, Dan, where I was going with this is there's a provision coming out soon, like a, a, a law, if you will, or a, a stimulus plan that would make the tax credit, would increase the child tax credit. It would make it fully refundable and it would advance pay it out. So it wouldn't even be a credit. The IRS would actually send checks to people on a monthly basis. And if that happens, which I think is really innovative and really smart because it's still the same amount of money other than the fact that they're increasing the, the tax credit. Uh, 12,800 for a family that qualifies for the full stimulus and has two children under the age of six because six is the threshold to make it 3,600 a year per kid as opposed to 3,000. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. $12,800 increase in your income and, and the fall off of that is going to be is going to be a nightmare. You know, uh, people like to give professional football player. Why do I don't have time for all this? Why am I talking? Uh, <laughs> what am I doing? Um, people love to give professional football players crap about their lifestyles and, and how they make all this money and spend it. And then they're broke. That same mechanism that causes that is going to happen to a majority of Americans if they get another twelve thousand eight hundred dollars this year. Yeah, the right. old, the old uh, great philosopher uh, Patrick Ewing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We make a lot of money. What people need to under this is one of my favorite quotes ever. <laughs> During the lockout, this was in the eighties, maybe early nineties. Uh, Patrick Ewing, Knicks center, was asked why the fans should side with the players as opposed to the owners, and uh, Patrick Ewing said, "What the what the fans need to know is, yeah, we players make a lot of money, but." We spend a lot of money too. <laughs> that is the best quote of all time. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. We have to keep going because I I'm, I'm I have to change into a whole a whole, an Aloha shirt. <laughs> going on. I gotta edit all this in three, two. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, right here on the Pete the Planner show, is. The covert coin. The covert coin. Dame, uh, do you like spy movies? 
Yes. You do like spy movies. Sure. Do you like this idea that you could potentially hide things in an espionage style way? And that thing is a quarter. A covert coin is a, uh, it's a hollow spy coin. And they've been around since the Cold War. But now you can secretly carry troves of important data with these covert coins. Available in U.S. quarter and 50 euro denominations, they're hand-machined from real coins to create an interior compartment that's just the right size for a micro SD card. Once closed, they're indistinguishable from regular currency and can't be opened without the included opening device, letting you carry them around with you uh, with regular change for added security. Now, Dame, I don't care how much this costs, but it does cost $24. Here's the issue. There's a lot of issues. Number one, I don't have anything that important to put on, on a micro device that needs to be uh, hidden. Do you? Maybe that says more about you than the product. That's fair. Second thing is, like, what if I buy a Coke with this? And then all of this data is inside some, some vending machine. It gets passed through our, our, our cash system. And someone ends up with all of these tasteful pictures of myself that I thought were private. I mean, this is exactly what would happen. I would end up putting change into the, the little box at McDonald's for the Ronald McDonald house. And then I would freak out and have to you know start trying to break into it and look like a crazy guy who's trying to steal from families in need. Additionally... You need the special opening device to open it. What are the chances that you lose that? I got to think they're pretty high. It, it better be something that is easily uh, copied with like a fork or something because I'm going to lose the, the opening device 100%. Uh, on Facebook Live right now, Betty says, be right back, checking all my quarters now, right? I mean, like, I want to go to all my change and just be like, oh my gosh, I've just found... Uh, documentation from the KGB here. I was going to make, Dame, I, I want some kudos from you. Um, okay. So I'm going to have to ask for a compliment. I wanted to make this week's best, biggest waste of money of the week uh, a one-way, same-day airfare from Cancun to Texas. But I thought that I didn't really want to get into all that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nice job. For, yeah. not, for not Nice job for not doing that. Aren't you uh, glad I did not bring that up? Yeah. I, now, I, now I'm catching up. Yeah, I'm very happy you didn't bring that up. Uh, I, I feel horrible for everyone in Texas and I, Louisiana too. There's some some folks affected there, and I think Oklahoma as well. Uh, I think as actually Colton uh, just noted, he is in Oklahoma and hasn't had water. Uh, we are thinking about all of you, sending you good vibes. We, we've got members of our team affected by this uh, here at Your Money Line and Hey Money. So uh, we're pulling for you. Dame, what's in the news? A federal judge on Tuesday said Citigroup is not entitled to recoup half a billion dollars of its own money that it mistakenly wired lenders of Revlon in what he called a banking error of perhaps unprecedented nature and magnitude. That's right. They accidentally wired half a billion dollars to lenders. U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman in Manhattan said the transfers were final and complete transactions not subject to revocation. The blunder was the latest misstep involving internal controls at Citigroup, which federal regulators fined $400 million in October over longstanding deficiencies. Acting as Revlon's loan agent, Citigroup had wired $893 million to the cosmetic company's lenders, appearing to pay off 
alone not due until 2023 when it intended to send only $7.8 million of interest. Uh, it seems bad. Yeah, I, that was a uh, attributed to human error. Uh, Dame, as you know, as a business owner and uh, you know member of our team, uh, the cash flow is really important for businesses, and uh, you know how people pay you, and they pay you on time, and and you you count on cash on hand to uh, project your business revenues in its, in its futures. This seems like it could take an entire business down. Yeah. I mean, other if you were anything other than a bank that our government likes to bail out, you'd probably be in trouble. <laughs> I just laughed. I'm just ruining the show <laughs> with laughter because of someone's comment on Facebook Live. I'm sorry. I know that stinks for radio listeners. But <laughs> Brittany, with the line of the year so far, I suddenly feel better about accidentally spending my secret quarter. <laughs> that's, a, that's the funniest thing anyone said on the show all year. Brittany. Oh, that's beautiful. Well done. Well done. What else? Uh, Adidas plans to sell or spin off its underperforming Reebok brand 15 years after they bought the U.S. fitness label to help compete with arch rival Nike. Adidas said on Tuesday it had decided to begin the formal process aimed at divesting Reebok as a part of a five-year strategy it plans to present on March 10th. And the company will also present its 2020 results. A banking source said the business Reebok we're talking about could be worth around a billion euros or $1.2 billion. Adidas bought Boston-based Reebok for $3.8 billion in 2006. Pete, have you ever owned a pair of Reebok shoes? I was hoping you were going to ask. I had a pair of pumps. Of course in, you did. In middle school. Yes. And they were amazing. And I have to say, ugly as all get out. They were terrible, uh, horrible shoes, heavy, but man, they felt good on your feet knowing that I was basically D Brown, a winch about to win a dunk contest. They were like high C yellow and black. <laughs> <laughs> they were horrible. Uh, have you ever owned a pair of Reeboks? I have not. Never. Yeah. I think I, I don't know about Reeboks now. I just know about Reeboks in the mid 90s. So Reeboks could be the greatest shoe on the planet now, and I'm not making fun of them or anything like that. I'm just saying back in the 90s, when you probably just wanted to be rolling around in Nikes, I went with the Reebok pumps, and I do have regrets. Well, you'll grow from it. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dane, what else? Uh, Massachusetts securities regulators have issued a subpoena seeking the testimony of a YouTube streamer who helped diverge a surge uh, drive a surge of interest in GameStop as part of a review of his registration, including his outside business activities. This is our Thunder Tiger. Thunder, Thunder Tiger. Tiger. Exactly. The guy. Yeah. Uh, it, I, apparently, he uh, he made an I am not a cat joke uh, during his testimony. Did he really? I think so. I, I have, didn't have time to go look for the video. Maybe but I like him now. <laughs> apparently, he said, I am not a cat. My dad would always get on me when I was younger and probably still that in serious times, I would take too much of a risk with a joke. And actually, our business development, vice president of business development, our organization is always on me about that, too, because we'll be in like a major, major meeting and I can't resist the, the urge to make a joke. Uh, you know, he did that in front of Congress. He made, it, he made that joke in front of Congress. That was what I heard. I, if he did. That's fantastic, but I I, I want to see that. I, I want to see that into the testimony, the the the, the transcript. 
Man, I I keep saying this year, I'm not an I told you so guy, but I think I've turned into an I told you so guy. This was obvious that this guy was going to uh, get in very big trouble. It comes with HP. Uh, yeah, what, uh, saying I told you so does? Yeah, yeah. Are you an I told you so sort of guy? Uh, no, I, I would get in deep trouble if I if I was an I told you so guy. Oh, wait, Daniel says he even had a hang in there cat poster in the background uh, during the Zoom. Is that true? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what is wrong with that guy? Uh, Dame, here's the thing. There was a time in my life when I thought, you know, someday I want to testify in front of Congress. I was like, I got rid of it. was like, you know me, I'm, I have weird, I have major issues. And I was like, but then now the more I think about it, that generally means something's gone horribly wrong and you're in trouble, right? It's it's not so much like, hey, let me just give you some thoughts on personal finance. No, it's it's you're 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 in trouble. Yeah, you're not going there to uh, to to tout the uh, successes of your business very often. I actually was close to uh, doing that on a thing that I about 10 years ago uh, to, to, to give some perspective on this or that. And it was, it was not close to happening, but it was a, it was a possibility and I was really excited about it. Um, but at that point it just it seemed like a vanity play. If I'm being honest, I wanted to be able to say I've testified in front of Congress and then talk about it later on the radio. Dame, that's all we have time for this week on the show. So I'm sending good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete, the planner. Meow. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Oh my God, my afternoon is going to be a horrible dumpster fire. If you'd only taken me up on teaching me how to do this editing, it'd be less of a dumpster fire. It'd be like a 55 Your afternoon's messed up. Your Friday afternoons are your time to breathe a little bit. Yeah, I get to take a dog to a vet this afternoon. Oh, how's that going? Uh, It's good. Uh, As well as uh, better than I anticipated. Can I give you a recommendation? Sure. Are they going to do a fecal sample? I hope not. Okay. Two things. Number one, if they say we need a fecal sample, they mean the dogs. Okay. I just want to start there. Number two, have the dog just poop in the lobby because if they do the fecal sample, it's like 13 bucks. They get a little melon baller and they go in and grab it. Uh, but if, if it all goes in the lobby, they can't charge you 13 bucks for melon ball on your dog's dung. And it's, you save $13 money saving tip. Why can't they charge you for it? Because the fecal sample, they're, they're charging you for melon balling the dog's situation. Sample's a sample, regardless of the location of the deposit. I don't know. Oh, Eric is mad at me now. <laughs> remember how I said that there's a member of our team that uh, well, I'm in meetings with all the time, and then she's upset about what we talk about. That's I, just told her, I just told her this week she never engages in our <laughs> during our show. She should. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, man. I hope you all pray for her on a regular basis because he has to deal with me a lot. Okay. Dame, uh, everybody else, we like you. Um, stay warm, Texas and, and Oklahoma and and Louisiana. What a, what a terrible situation. You know, this is not a glib comment or flippant for that matter, but I believe it to be true. You know, we... <laughs> uh, we may all come together as a country to collectively be outraged over this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, okay. Will we be collectively outraged at the same entities though? Possibly like this ERCOT or whatever. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's mad at them. And I think that's 
that's good for the country is that we have a common enemy and the enemy isn't each other. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be plenty of politicalization and how it led to this and assigning the contracts. And, and, and what if we have a single enemy? You know, it won't, it won't last. Uh, okay. I really have got to go. Um, goodbye, everybody. See you later. Bye, Dame. See ya.